Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My guest today is Nathan. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Today's topic, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, the cult classic 1993 animated film set in the Batman of the Animated Series world. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. For the longest time, until Christopher Nolan came along, a lot of Bat fans would say, this movie is the best Batman film of all time. I can understand why. It's a Bruce Wayne story. Mm. He obviously got Bruce Wayne in Batman the Animated Series, but that was definitely a Batman show, whereas we got a lot more of Bruce Wayne here. I mean, in the Animated Series, which we have already reviewed some years ago now, but we've done a full review of that show. Of course. We didn't get the origin. We get it mm. here, which is really cool. They've taken a character from the comics, the Phantasm, which was year two, so we're getting that here. So it just felt different. On one hand, different because, oh, we're getting the Bruce Tim Batman origin story in this movie, but then getting a different villain from the comics. Again, Phantasm. I mean, Joker is still here, but Phantasm is the big bad. You've got a mystery, like what's going on? Yes. I mean, this has always been a favorite of mine as well. It reminds me of Batman 66. They had a TV show. It was successful. And they're like, put it on the big screen. We need to, you know, cash in on this. And it happened here as well. We got yeah. series in 92, in 93. And I believe it was a quick turnaround. This movie was on the big screen. And what's really interesting about it is, um, and you, you really opened it up for me then, it is more of a Bruce the Bruce Wayne story, and that's not immediately apparent. I mean, when I first watched it, I didn't think of it in those terms. But having thinking about it, yeah, you're right. It's definitely more Bruce-centric. Well, we can get into it a bit more here. So it was produced between the first and second seasons of the series. The film follows Batman as he reconciles with a former lover, Andrea Beaumont, and faces a mysterious vigilante who is murdering Gotham City's crime bosses. The plot was inspired by Mike W. Barr's Batman Year 2 comic book story arc, but features an original antagonist, the Phantasm in place of the Reaper, although does still look like a Reaper, but it's a different different character, while also mm. elements from Batman Year 1. That's where we get in a recounting of how Bruce Wayne became Batman in his first attempts to fight crime, which again is really cool because he's Batman already. As soon yeah. as the animated series opens, he's already Batman. He's Fully got realized. Skills, he's had the mm. training. He's got the gadgets. Yes. Yeah. We realize. This is like, like a proto-Batman. What yeah. we're seeing in this is he's, he's like proto-Batman, and he's just very simple operation, you know, balaclava, uh, doesn't even have a utility belt, and uh, just using you know white-knuckle fighting, bare-knuckle fighting with uh, the martial arts and ninjutsu that he's, that he's trained, studied himself, studied for himself. Originally planned for a direct-to-video release, Warner Brothers gave Mask of the Phantasm a theatrical release, condensing its production into a strenuous eight-month schedule. The film was the first theatrical film produced by Warner Brothers Animation and was released through the studio's family entertainment division on December 25th, 
1993. There you go. Christmas Day. That's when it was first released. And it was released to positive reviews on critics who praised the stylized animation, voice performances, story, and music. I mean, they'd, I mean, they they hit the ground running with that first season. So the praise that this movie's getting from the critics, I mean, again, yeah, they were on their way. So they, they had it. They had, you know, the animation style, the cast, everything was already in place. In place, yeah. And like like you say, it was already up and running. It was a well-oiled machine um, in that first season or two of the show. So by the time it came around to doing Phantasm and for as, as a um, standalone movie, animated movie, like you said, the production values were already well in place. And in the year since its release, Mask of the Phantasm has developed a cult following and continues to receive acclaim. Like again, like so many people still go back to this movie. And it's the what are we, what are we on? So it came out in '93, so it's the 30th anniversary. What was your favorite part of it? You got any particular scenes that stand out for you in your mind that make you go, "Wow, that was great"? It was the origin, like because we'd just not seen it. Like again, like he was already Batman in the show, so I've always mm. liked that about this movie. And then just who's behind the mask? I mean, you've seen it once, you know who it is, but just that mm. mystery—you don't really know what's going on. The initial mystery, yeah. Yeah, so always, me, I think, always like that. Yeah, that's fair. For me, I think just the way Gotham feels so lived in and, and so habitable, even the opening intro uh, when the credits are rolling and you see the camera just going through Gotham uh, over the city skyline, just the way all the buildings look so, like the way everything's so retro, like it's a time, like the timelessness of the city, the way Bruce Tim really bought that sort of um, timeless uh, art deco sort of vibe to Gotham. Like it's a city sort of trapped in time, like in, in like say the, the 30s or the 40s or something like that, or the 20s, but it still has this sort of modernness to it, especially in terms of Batman's gadgets. But all the cars, all the buildings, everything looks so retro. Just how cool and habitable and lived in Gotham looked uh, looks. So that really is apparent in this animated movie, too. Well, that's it. Like, you know, just with the critics, like what they're praising this film for, we've had that in the TV series. Like, you know, the, the groundwork had already been done but they purposely mm. did that with the show where it looked out of time but certain mm. things that they would have you would think oh maybe this is like the early 1900s but then they'd have some modern technology as well and then you've got the blimps so it kind of always looked out of time which has made this movie and the series age really well yeah, and that's what I think of when I think of Gotham, the timelessness of it. The, it's like a steampunk meets Art Deco kind of thing, and I just really, really dig it. And that's when they get it right, isn't it? Look mm. at Burton's Batman, and then things really escalated with Joel Schumacher, and you have those big, massive mm. statues holding buildings, but it's kind of yeah. cool. But then you got Nolan, his first Batman film begins. It brings it back to the ground, yeah. It does, but at the same time, like, Gotham looks like something new it doesn't look like somewhere mm. that you know dark night dark night rises chicago it looks yeah. like chicago that's what gotham yeah. looks like but with his first film at least tried to make gotham look unique and i guess it's what my hope is for you know the new dc universe on the big screen batman the brave and the bold gotham looks like gotham and it doesn't just yeah. look like the city they've it, used to shoot i think it works best it works best when you make gotham a character unto itself just like burton did just like bruce tim did back to this movie though 
The decision yep. to release it in theaters on short notice, Mask of the Phantasm failed at the box office. After its release on home media, it became financially successful. Its success led to other Batman films through direct-to-DVD releases such as Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero came out in 98. But it wasn't until the limited release of Batman The Killing Joke in 2016, Mask of the Phantasm was the only animated Batman film to be given a theatrical release, as well as the only one to receive a full theatrical release until the Lego Batman movie in 2017. And I went to see The Killing Joke at the cinema. I'm not sure if you as well. And it was Grand Cinema. They were doing a limited screening, just one show on a Sunday. And I went there for it. Man, that would have been a treat. It really was. like it, It was the novelty of it. Like getting to see, because I didn't see this movie in cinemas. I went to see the Lego Batman movie in 2017. But in Same. 2016, watching The Killing Joke, hearing Kevin Conroy, hearing Mark Hamill, Mark like, Hamill. on the big screen, that was pretty cool. I did enjoy that. I mean, there's the controversial opening of that movie that's completely unnecessary, where they padded out the story. You've got the romance between Batman, Batgirl. It was a whole thing. But the actual addition yeah. of the main story, Alan Moore, Brian Bolland, that works really well. Absolutely. That's cool. So the plot for this movie, um, it's pretty pretty straightforward, but I think because mm. of the origin, it does add a lot to it. When Batman is accused for several murders, he decides to fight against a ruthless criminal who is related to his former girlfriend, who, of course, we find out it is his former girlfriend. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the mystery. Isn't that always the way? But it's fun, though, isn't it? Like when you get Mm. whether it's, you know, Batman or, you know, any kind of like murder mystery, when when it's revealed who it actually is, you want it to have been someone that you've seen and that you spent time with. If they reveal the killer and it's somebody that you've seen in maybe one frame, you'd be like, boo, you know, how how are you supposed to deduce who it is? So it is, yeah. cool. it is a cool reveal that it's someone that he's basically spent the whole movie with. Like we'll probably take the, the guesswork of a detective work out of it. I know, but it's it's about the origin, a threat yeah. that isn't the Joker, or again, you know, he is in here. He's and, like the secondary villain here, not the primary villain. So yeah, he is. And when are you not going to want to have Joker voiced by Mark Hamill? I mean, it's always, always a joy. I mean, there's no oh man, yeah. there's no Harley Quinn. But what we do have is Arlene Sorkin as Mrs. Bambi. And I want to say the, the late Arlene Sorkin. Well, no. that's what I was going to say. I want to bring that up. Yes. Yeah, so sad to hear of the news of, of her passing. And mm. yeah, playing a different character here. I mean, Miss Bambi, a female socialite based in Gotham City, was pursued, who pursued Bruce Wayne as a potential suitor. But mm. Harley Quinn. That is what she is known for. And honestly, signature role. I didn't know how far Mm. back it actually went. Like we all know her as the voice of Harley Quinn, but it goes further Mm. back than that. Sorkin was cast as Harley Quinn before most of Harley's characterization had been thought out. 
The character's entire existence was based on Sorkin's appearance as a clown on the show Days of Our Lives. And you can see the footage online. It's like live action Harley Quinn before Harley Quinn. That's incredible. According to Paul Dini, most of Harley's personality is based on Arlene's, including her bubbly, wisecracking personality. Without Sorkin, this character probably wouldn't exist or would certainly be a lot different. That's what Dini had. I'd love to know. I'd love to know if she, like, the, the, the New Jersey accent, whether that was always intended to be part of Harley Quinn or whether that was something Sorkin just brought to the role. Like, was she meant to have the Jersey accent or what? It sounds like, mm. you know, that appearance on Days of Our Lives. That was hard. It'd be interesting to go back and look at that that clip. But yes, definitely want to acknowledge, as you say, the late Arlene Sorkin. Yeah, rest in peace. She was incredible. Absolutely. Back to the Phantasm, though. We've got Dana Delaney as Andrea Beaumont. Delaney's voice performance in the film impressed the filmmakers, leading to her casting as Lois Lane in Superman the Animated Series in 96. Oh, wow. There you go. Bruce Tim went through approximately 20 different character designs for the Phantasm before creating a version that resembles the Grim Reaper with Asriel's mask. The large blade on the right hand was not part of Tim's original design and was added later at Alan Burnett's insistence, which is oh, nice. cool. And I've seen the action figure. It makes for a cool toy, having the blade. Yeah, it does. It looks way more badass, that's for sure. Absolutely. And playing Arthur Reeves, we've got Hart Bochner. He was the boyfriend in the 1984 Supergirl movie, and he's also, oh, what's the character's name? He's the guy in Die Hard who makes out that he knows John McClane. Okay. You know, he ends up getting killed. Oh, what's he? Um, oh, man, I'm blanking on, I'm blanking on his name. Ellis. His character's name's Ellis. Love Die Hard. And he's in that. But my go-to for him is Supergirl. He was the boyfriend um, in, in that. That's cool. And we've got Stacey Keach as Carl Beaumont and voice of Phantasm. So that's interesting, isn't it? So they thought, well, let's have a different actor on the cast, voice Phantasm, mm. and maybe that will throw audiences off and they won't think that it's a woman. So there you go. Mm. That was pretty clever, actually. Yeah. To keep the identity of the Phantasm a secret, they also made it so the Phantasm had the same build as Carl Beaumont and Arthur Reeves to throw mm. people off that it wasn't actually a woman. Interesting. Yeah, I think um, getting back to like favorite scenes of the movie or visually, uh, the graveyard scene with the, the death of that mobster, that was pretty cool. And also the scene where Batman and Joker duke it out in that World of Tomorrow exhibition and that juxtaposition of Batman looming looming large over a city was such a brilliant uh, visual metaphor. I thought that was great too. Yeah, all all great scenes. Just like the show, the composer is Shirley Walker. Oh, yeah. Superman the Animated Series as well as Batman the Animated Series. I mean, she worked 
on the DC animated universe a lot. Extensively, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she served as composer on Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, the new Batman Adventures. That was the slightly different continuation of Batman the Animated Mm. Series where the animation style changed. She did Batman Beyond. So she really did set the standard for the sound of the DC animated universe. Yeah, and she had a tough job too because she... Her assignment was to make, was to take Danny Elfman's theme and put her own spin on it. Yeah, and she did. She really did. Like she absolutely nailed it. I mean, you can buy CD or I guess now digital albums of mm. Batman the animated series, and if you're buying the CDs, I think they're anywhere up to like three, four, five disc box sets. Like there is so much music that she produced over the course of even just Batman, the animated series. But you're right, yeah. started with using the Danny Elfman Batman theme, and then she just took it from there. Wouldn't it be a cool thing to have in your collection as a, as a Batman collector? Wouldn't it be great to have something like that? Absolutely. La La Records, they often put out Batman, the animated series albums, but they're always so expensive. But yes, it would mm. be. Now, though, you can just listen on Spotify. You, know, you, you could just stream <laughs> instead of actually... I think okay. one day, one day, one of us will probably own something like that. There's hardcore collectors. I wouldn't be surprised. The song I never even told you was performed by Tia Carrera. My mind goes to Wayne's wow. World. Yes, of course. Carrera. But she's wow. straight away. End credits. That's her singing singing that song. And what's really That's incredible thing, right? Hans Zimmer. We all know him, who would yep. like to compose the score for the Dark Knight trilogy, played the synthesizer on the score. Wow, there you go. One of the musicians that made up the orchestra of Shelley Walker's score for this film. And now you think like Hans Zimmer. For the connection. He's up there with John Williams, like Danny Elfman, like. Wow, I mean, look, Simmers, that is quite the connection, man. But he is hidden in this movie. (laughs) Like, that I think is, um, yeah, a fun bit of fun bit of trivia there. So, this brilliant if you're going to rate it out of five, oh, it's definitely uh, a recommend or above. Um, probably I'm going to go with four, four out of five again because, um, it's 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 just a great watch. It's a fun watch. It's enthralling. It has you. It grabs you by the neck straight away, and it has you straight into it and engaged. Visually, it's it's, it's stunning. The, the the score is brilliant uh, and really informs the action. The voice the performances are fantastic. All the actors do a great job with their roles and um, very believable, very convincing. And it's 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 top quality. I mean, as as we said off air, um, Bruce Tim and Paul Dini just loom so large, don't they, in pop culture? And their 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 DNA, their imprint is all over this. Then you've got uh, Burnett, Radomski, uh, all you know, Kirk Wendell, all those guys who who are regular contributors to the to the show, to the show. Their 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 fingerprints are all over this as well. And it's just such a such a treat for a, for a batman fan to watch a movie like this so enjoyable romp and definitely a four out of five for me this is a rare thing on the podcast i'm gonna come in higher i'm gonna come in with a solid five out of five on this one. Oh wow a movie that i've watched for as long as i can remember and i never get tired of it 
I love it. And I'm thinking back to it was different in the 90s to how it is now, like streaming. You've got everything readily available. Even like if you look at DVD box sets back then, Batman was mm. released on VHS. You get like three, maybe four episodes on a cassette, mm. and that was it. So That's when right. I did, wanted to watch Batman, and I would, you know, on TV, Saturday mornings, often they had two-parters. So I'd sit down to watch Batman, the animated series, and maybe it'd be part one. And mm. I'd wait a week to see part two, or maybe it'd be part two and I'd miss part one. This was always a way of me being able to sit down and watching a complete Batman, the animated series story. So always loved it for that. And just the origin, them actually telling the origin in such a cool way. The supporting characters, I think he's only got like two scenes, but Bob Hastings is in this Commissioner Gordon. Cool. There's so That's right to like about this movie and it is about the phantasm but joker's in here as well and again like mark hamill it's everything you love about the show condensed into a live action movie it really is and we're saying movie because it is the runtime one hour 16 minutes this film is mm. a brisk watch and again we're reviewing it 30th anniversary which is pretty cool it's crazy to think pretty awesome. we are getting Hold old. on <laughs> I was going to say, man, hold on to your hats, ladies and gents. Luke's coming in at a five. <laughs> That's it. Am I doing my math right there? It is, isn't it? Yes. It came out mm. in 93, 30th anniversary. There we go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Five That's awesome, though. That's very timely. Very it timely. Does, it does happen. But again, like there's there's nothing that I would take away or change. I love no, this. There's so much, so much is, to like. It is a perfect film. And again, for most people, until Nolan... And there's a lot of love for Tim Burton's Batman, of course, but for a lot mm. of people, and I think it was the Bruce Wayne angle, this was a favourite. And then, of course, Batman Begins, we got a lot of Bruce Wayne. Anyway, that, that's a whole glad conversation. I'm glad you recommended it for the show because it was just such a treat to rewatch. And that's it. Like It it feels like and looks like it could have been made today. It does. Timeless. And it was. It, I was so hyped upon watching that. It actually made me bust out a few other more other episodes of the box set and watch them all over again. I picked like I probably hand picked about two or three other episodes after watching Phantasm because because Phantasm just really hyped me up to watch Batman the animated series so much. It's great. We still need to get to it, and it will happen at some point. Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. For we'll do it. Me, I love, love them shows. So at this point, we've done Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series. We've done Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Now we've done... I think, it's, I think it's inevitable. We'll do it. Absolutely. We will We will get to it. Well, that's it for our episode all about Batman Mask of the Phantasm. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.